We got your name from a client of yours and we want to talk to you about a marketing project. So I said, okay. So we scheduled time. I show up to their office. There is a Maserati. There's a Porsche. There is a Bentley. There's a Rolls Royce. There's a Lamborghini. There's a Ferrari. There's literally every exotic car you can think of. There's at least a dozen of them. So I knock on the door because it's like a converted office. Like it's a it's like a 5,000 square foot home type of thing. They converted to an office. And I noticed something on the whiteboard in the back of the room. It's got you know company goals and to-do lists. But in the bottom right-hand corner, it says, is Justin Trapp the next leader? Question mark. Yo, yo, Holy Hustle podcast here with my good friend, Justin Trapp. How are you, my man? Bro, it's good to see you, man. It's good to, it's good to do this. We've been running online for a while. Been good friends, Call of Duty buddies. Man. UFC, MMA buddies. Yeah. Uh, sports buddies. Uh, Instagram DM meme buddies. This is true. And uh, and so just so excited uh, to have you on the podcast. It's the early days of the podcast and it's a lot of friends right now that I get to introduce to the world that are doing really cool stuff in the kingdom. And, um, you know, for those that, uh, don't know you, can you talk a little bit about, um, kind of how you got, um, how, how you are, how you got to where you're at right now, being the founder of ministry pass, building a super uber successful company with a team, three studios. We're just messing around with your, uh, your garage studio right now. But, uh, but yeah, just tell folks a little bit about, you know, kind of how you got your start into entrepreneurship, um, and how you get to where you are today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And I appreciate you donating 5,000 to my foundation. That's why I agreed to come on. Yep. Yep. And, it was 10. It was 10. Okay. It's 10. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have, we're gonna have a lot of fun, bro. Heck yeah. Uh, so for me, I think my journey probably starts like a lot of other entrepreneur journeys, right? As a kid, like mine's like stereotypical at seven years old, my mom helped me uh, do, you know, sell some lemonade. And I, I still remember the amount I made a dollar 90. Wow. And uh, my mom taught me about tithing. Then just like the first money I ever made. She's like, okay, now we got to give 10% to God. And from there I started mowing lawns and listen, we grew up, I would say, extraordinarily average. Mm. Um, we wanted to be involved in church, but we were very, you know, very poor, I would say. Mm. <laughs> so if I wanted to go to kids camp, I wanted to go to summer camp, if I wanted to do anything extracurricular, I had to figure out a way to pay for it myself. Mm. And so I think me becoming an entrepreneur really was born out of this this desire, right, to, to be involved and go to the things that my friends went to at church. Fast forward to about 10 years ago, I am a freelancer and I've got about 10 or 12 retainer clients, if you will, most of them churches. And I felt like God called me into, into ministry when I was a kid. And so I started working, wanted to work in the church world. And so I'm comfortable in that space. And I was just, to be honest, bro, I was exhausted. I, mm. I, was, exa- I, was, I was not a good entrepreneur. I was a good hustler, but I was not great at business. And so I had about a dozen clients, the most tired I've ever been in my life. And I get this phone call, this phone call that really, I, I believe, changed the trajectory of my business career. It's this phone call and the, the guy on the other line says, hey, this is so-and-so. We got your name from a client of yours and we want to talk to you about a marketing project. So I said, okay. So we scheduled time. I show up to their office and there is a Maserati. There's a Porsche. There is a Bentley. There's a Rolls Royce. There's a Lamborghini. There's a Ferrari. There's literally every exotic car you can think of. There's at least a dozen of them. And I'm going, what, what am I, who are these people? So I knock on the door cause it's like a converted office. Like it's a, it's like a 5,000 square foot home type of thing. They converted to an office and this girl answers the door And the first words out of her mouth were, good morning, Mr. Trap. Can I get you a Red Bull? (laughs) And I was like, what on earth? So I've come to find out people have said when I describe it to them and say, hey, that's that's Entertainment 720. If anybody's ever watched Entertainment 720, Mm. Entertainment 720 in real life. So I walk in and there's club music on. It's like, and I'm like, what is this is like 930 a.m. in the morning and everyone's there's like young, pretty people everywhere. The dudes are all suited out and there's TVs with Sports Center on. 
And the, the young lady says, hey, uh, the CEOs, this is a co-CEO situation. She said, the, the, the CEOs will be with you in a minute. They're up in, uh, you can go wait in their office. So I go upstairs and I go to the office and I'm just kind of looking around, trying to take this all in. Like, this is the most bizarre office I've ever been in. And there are giant swords on the wall, like everywhere. Like, you know, William Wallace, Braveheart, <laughs> like massive six foot long sword. And I noticed something on the whiteboard in the back of the room. It's got, you know, company goals and to-do lists. But in the bottom right-hand corner, it says, is Justin Trapp the next leader? Question mark. And I'm, now my curiosity is like, you know, full bore here. Well, what on earth? So these guys come in. And they, their, their culture is so thick and so energetic. And when, when them and their team walk into a room with, with a client or just in a restaurant, I mean, they roll up with all these exotic cars. Mm. They're all dressed extremely well. And then on top of it, the, the guys are wearing ball caps with their logo on it. So people are like, hey, who, who are y'all? Like, what is this? What is that logo? Yeah. And so they wanted to create this lifestyle brand, if you will. And for some reason, I got plucked from obscurity to do it. <laughs> and so I just remember going, okay, this is, this is wild, first of all. And they, they, you know, we talked over a few days, I interviewed with them, and they offered me 85k to work from home, and I got 5% equity. 10 years ago, 85k was a lot of money, right? For anybody. And they're gonna let me work from home. And I told my dude, I told this is what I told my wife, I said, listen, this is either God giving me this providential opportunity or B, I am the fall guy <laughs> because th these guys were energy brokers. They're, they're, they're energy brokers and they want to start this lifestyle brand. And I thought, this is odd. This is just incredibly odd. Yeah. So I ended up doing it. And there were a few lessons that I learned along the way with these guys. They would say the most outrageous things, bro outrageous mm. things. And I would call my wife as soon as I got in the truck on the way home. I said, you'll never believe what these guys said to me. But they sent me all over Texas looking at energy shots. I mean, I know more about five hour energy than probably the average <laughs> consumer. <laughs> they, they, wanted, they would say stuff like, hey, Justin, we want you to create the next Under Armour. I'm like, <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, let me, let, me, let me put that in my business plan. <laughs> they would say these crazy things. But one thing that they said to me, and here's where I'm getting with this, and this is sort of the beginning of like, I would say this evolution that has happened in me as an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. as, a, as a business leader. I remember where I was standing. We were sort of having conflict on the direction and they were a little confusing, I'll, I'll be honest, mm -hmm. at times. But they continually stretched me. They challenged me to think bigger. And at mm -hmm. one point, I remember I was on my front porch and they said, I was, I was in the middle of like pitching them this idea or this direction or the strategy that I wanted to use. I don't even remember what it was. But they stopped me right in the middle. I said, just, just, just wait, 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 wait. Justin, listen, you are managing our business like it's your business. Mm -hmm. Your business is small. We want you to manage our business like it's our business. Hmm. And I got off the phone. I just sat there on the porch. And I thought, you know what? They're right. You know, my father was a blue collar electrician. Hmm. My mother homeschooled. She didn't work. I don't really have a lot of uh, business, great business experience. I was just a hustler that needed hmm. to make some extra money for church camp. Like that's how I got into this. <laughs> And so I would say that day I had this sort of awareness of like what I lacked as an entrepreneur and where I needed to grow. And from there, you know, it wasn't shortly thereafter, I, I you know, began working on ministry pass, which is about, wow. you know, so that, that, that's sort of the beginning, if you will. No, that's, that's pretty crazy. Uh, I thought you, you were going to say you were like Dana White came out and, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, what a lot of people don't know too, like for those that the, the three of you that watch, uh, um, MMA, Justin actually was a photographer as well. Um, for the California kid, like took photos of, uh, Uriah Faber. And, um, and so you've always been this kind of creative, marketing. What ended up happening to that, that opportunity, by the way? Well, I, I mean, I just got busy and, and like when you're doing commercial photography or advertising photography, it, you're really essentially a freelancer, right? There are very few photography agencies out there. Right. right and so right. in order, if you want to grow your business, you've got to be able to take more work or have more expensive clients. And MMA, I would say 10 years ago was a lot smaller than it is today. So Big time. 
Yeah, it was sort of limited in your clientele. That's actually how those guys heard about me was they had seen that's some what, of that's my... That's why I, was, yeah. I thought that must have been the the connection. So how long did you end up working for this this lifestyle brand? So it was about five months. It was five okay. months. And I, I just, you know, we had had this idea for Ministry Pass before I started mm. working for them. And then as I'm working for them, I'm beginning to like, you know, sort of the scales are falling off your eyes on, okay, mm. like this is what this could be. Like this, this actually should be and could be a lot larger than what you've planned. And I remember telling them like, they, they started at the end trying to like motivate me. Like, Justin, if you stay with us, I promise, I guarantee you, you're going to be a millionaire. I mean, I guess that works on the down and outers that's like hustling and peddling their yeah. energy broker services. But for me, I wasn't really motivated by that. I just had to tell them like, guys, listen, I, I don't stay up at night dreaming about this lifestyle, like selling hats. I don't. Mm. I, and so I just, you know, in good faith, I can't, I can't work with you guys anymore. The lessons that I pulled from them along the way are, are I, you know, I will take with me to the grave, honestly. I, I learned so much and they, they challenged me. And that's why when looking back, bro, I do believe it was this sort of God, this mm. God ordained opportunity that you know, I could have passed up. I could have been a little fearful, but I sort of took the plunge and I'm so grateful that I did. Yeah, that's fascinating. I have a very similar story. I went to a hotel meeting and there were Lamborghinis, Porsches and all those cars. And it was for an MLM company and uh, multi-level marketing for yeah. those that, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, get introduced to entrepreneurship through network marketing. I was Primerica. 17, Primerica and prepaid legal and Maluka and Amway and all of those. And if you do those amazing. And I met some guys and I didn't want to do it forever. I wasn't like up at night, like, oh my gosh, I want to sell vitamins. But the principles that I learned from the co-founders, there's three co-founders. One was a friend, became a friend and just like they just instilled these principles from books that they learned, from businesses that they built. And I just had never heard of that. And so you, you know, um, blue collar, you know, your dad's a blue collar worker, mom's homeschooled. Like, what would you say the, the, the biggest thing you learned then? Obviously to think big, but what was a principle or two that you learned from them that shifted the way you started to think about ministry pass? Well, I, I think they just challenged me to think larger, to think greater. What is that? Right? What does that even mean? What, what, what does that even mean? Like, how do you practically do that? Well, yeah, that, that's a great question, right? I was a freelancer. And I, mm. so I had just turned 30 years old. We had just generated a hundred thousand in revenue for the first time ever in my life. That was sort of mm -hmm. a goal. I didn't yeah. make a hundred thousand cause I had yeah. some con subcontractors that I worked with and everything, but I thought I'd kind of made it in a way. And at the same time, I was the most exhausted I'd ever been in my life. Mm. And these guys like, no, like your business is actually small. We believe in you, but, mm. but your actual business is small. You need to think larger. You need to think greater. You need to think in, in, in terms of scalability. And so they, th that's where they challenge me. I'll say this too. A lesson I learned from them is that there's always a way. There's mm. always an angle. People are motivated and you just have to figure out what motivates them to say yes. For, for example, um, this is like a, sort of a, a niche UFC story, but Ronda Rousey was the, the champion. Yeah. And she was dominant, right? She was submitting yeah. people in like 13 yeah. seconds and all that. Yeah. There was a young lady named Holly Holm that came up and she was on the regional scene and I was familiar with her. And these, she had just gotten into the UFC and these guys wanted us to sponsor Holly Holm in the UFC. So they were tasked me with like, Hey, go sponsor Holly Holm. Wow. And at the time the UFC had this sponsorship tax. So in the old days of the UFC, now they have uniforms and it's cleaned up. But but prior to that, you know, a fighter is like they're doing the the fighter, you know, introductions and they the fighter will, you know, his uh, uh, cornerman will drop the banner down. It's got all these different random logos and fitness logos. Well, those are their sponsors. Well, in order to to actually sponsor a fighter, you had to pay the UFC like a quarter of a million dollars or something like that. It's like a sponsorship tax. And so I told the guys that and they said, "Listen, we're not paying $250,000 to sponsor her. F find a way." And so I was like exploring, making phone calls. I'm like, guys, there's not a way. Like it's 250,000. Like, no, there's always a way, Justin. That's what they kept telling me. There's always a way. Mm. And then one day, it was their idea, not mine. They came in and said, we, we got it. We got the idea. I said, what is it? They said, call Greg Jackson's gym, which Greg Jackson is where Holly Holm trained. It's a very notorious gym, one of the most successful MMA gyms in the world. And they said, offer to buy them all new equipment. 
Let's mm. we'll buy them punching bags. We'll buy their new jujitsu mats. We'll buy the wall pads. We'll buy it all. We just got to we got to put our logo on it. And they said our thinking is is there's going to be a lot of champions rolling through there. There's going to be a lot of like promotional material shot mm. there. The UFC will be there shooting videos. Other networks will be there shooting videos. And we want our logo to be in the background. And I kid you not, I was like two years later after I left, transitioned out of working with them. I'm watching a like a countdown to the UFC, and there there it was, their logo wow. in the background, and so they they didn't pay nearly you know two hundred fifty thousand to get that sponsorship deal, and they ended up sponsoring Holly, and of course Holly knocked out Ronda Rousey with the head yep. kick. So that's that's pretty crazy. There, there's always there's always a way. You talked a, a, a minute ago about your motivation wasn't wasn't money at that time because they're like, hey, you could be a millionaire, and I'm sure a lot of people that have been around the entrepreneurial game have got sold one of those pipe dreams that just didn't feel right. But like, man, like, did I leave millions on the table? What, what at that time, what, what was your motivation then? Like what, 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 what kept you up at night? What was the thing like, man, I, I'm working towards this. What was that? So you know, I grew up wanting to be in ministry or I felt like God called me into ministry. And so you get on this path, right? Where it's like, Hey, you're going to be a youth pastor and then you're going to be an associate pastor. And then you're going to be a pastor. I did that. I, I was a youth pastor. I was an executive pastor, but I never felt like God tapped me on the shoulder mm. to be a pastor. I just never felt that. And so as I began to work in business, my, my pastor sat me down one time and he said, Justin, I think you'd be a fine pastor. This is the, this is a pre-ministry pass. I, I have a point on this. And he said, listen, I think you'd be a fine local church pastor, but it, it is apparent to me that God continues to bless you and give you influence in business. Mm-hmm. And so I think your contribution to the kingdom will be much greater in business than it would be you being a pastor at a local church. And so that, that really sort of, I I felt like my soul connected with that purpose. And Mm. so my, my purpose and my um, values was to really help pastors at smaller churches, which is majority of the United States. And so when they're, they're trying to challenge me or or entice me, I was saying, Hey, you're going to be a millionaire. In my head, I'm going, look, I just want to help pastors. Like we got to pay our bills and all that, but I just want to help more pastors. I just want to help more churches. Being a millionaire is like the farthest thing from my mind, uh, honestly, right now. So um, that I would say that was my motivation at the time. No, that's really good. And you got to kind of know exactly um, what that reason why, you know, you're doing what you're doing is how important is, is it for entrepreneurs to, to get clarity on the thing that they're supposed to be doing? Because as you know, and, and someone successful that has influence like you, like you probably approached a ton, you probably got a thousand business ideas, but just the idea of having clarity and focus on an idea versus trying to do too many things at one time. Well, I mean, I, I would say I'm guilty of it, right? Uh, having lots of ideas, you get to a certain point, I, I think really it, fatigue just beats mm beats that tendency out of you eventually, hopefully. Mm. I just was so tired, bro, that after we launched Ministry Pass, we had this idea for what became Sermonary, was Sermonary is our sister platform. But we let that sit on the shelf for several years because wow. I felt like you know, we, we literally just birthed this thing. It's it's a baby. It's learning to crawl. And I'm not going to add another baby into the mix mm. immediately. I mean, we've all seen those parents and we've been those parents ourselves where you have kids back to back and you're just... You know, zone defense, like, (laughs) like if you're an entrepreneur and you're always pursuing these ideas, that's really what it's like, right? You're, you're having all these little children and you're trying to take care of them and nurture them and feed them and they need attention. And it's really hard. It's really hard to be great at, at, you know, at that. And I, I have great respect for the people that have figured out ways and systems to be able to thrive in that. But I would say those are the one percenters. The rest of us, we really need focus. We really need clarity. And we need those things early on. No, that's really good. And so before I ask kind of some of the lessons that you learned growing ministry pass, can you talk a little bit about what ministry pass is and and you know, maybe some of the numbers of uh, customers that you guys have about how successful it's been. Um, yeah, just tell a little bit about what Ministry Pass is. Yeah, so Ministry Pass is a library of digital resources. So, it, you know, a, a church can sign up for a membership and then they get access to our entire library of sermon series, sermon research guides, media assets. So, so for instance, if if uh, a pastor is going to do a sermon series, a, a sequence of, of teachings, right? 
uh, weekends in a row on baptism, water baptism. We provide them the research content behind you know some of the, the, the sermons. We provide them talking point ideas, some illustration mm-hmm. ideas. And then we also give them all the media that they would need to you know, promote water baptism internally or externally on social media. So everything they would need from like a sermon and media standpoint, that's what Ministry Pass is. And we've got a sermon series on every book of the Bible. Wow. We've got one year sermon series through the book of Acts, through the book of Matthew, through Exodus. Um, I mean, in just every topic you can imagine. In fact, we did the math the other day, bro. And we have like, I think it was over 125 years worth Holy cow. Of content, so like if if you consider like Sundays, we have 125 years worth of Sundays of content on, on in our library, and so yeah, it's uh we we, we reach uh, you know the average church is about 63 people. We we impact about 370 thousand people every single month, you know, with, with our resources, and so it's honestly I'm I'm just find tremendous joy and fulfillment in what we do and helping helping small churches. That's awesome, and and obviously super successful company, what are the key things maybe that you've, you've learned uh, that maybe you were doing in the beginning that you've had to change? Like, what was the key to success? Like, were you just like, man, this is right. Was it, was it email lists? Was it ads? Was it relationships? Like what really kicked it off for you guys? And you're like, man, this, this thing's starting to really grow and start to have some success. Yeah. So I mean, for us early on, I, I was doing all the marketing. It was me and, 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 and my partner, Wade, like we were literally just like, he was content, I was marketing. And I would say on, on, at least on the marketing side, you know, I was doing a lot of tripwires. Mm. Uh, you know, if everyone's familiar with tripwires yeah. where you're selling something really cheap and then doing upsells. And I was just using our tripwire money to pay for more ads, right? And so it was wow. just, you know, it was just sort of fueling our email list growth. I had someone tell me this the other day. They said, hey, I had lunch with the... uh appear in our in our space and he said i remember when ministry pass launched like your marketing was like ubiquitous like it was everywhere for uh, several months mm. when y'all launched and uh, I was like, I couldn't get away from it. everywhere I turned. I just saw something about Ministry Pass, and so I would say in the early days, I felt like we did a good job of just saturating, you know, the, the feeds, so to speak. No, that's really good. And and for those that don't know what a tripwire is, basically what Justin's talking about is is using something, you know, let's say your product is five hundred dollars uh, or thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, instead of just spending money on ads to sell that back end or your signature product, if you will, you basically use what's called a tripwire. It's a lower ticket, five, ten, twenty dollar product to get a buyer. So there's a better there's buyers having more buyers on your list um, is better than having tire kickers. And so what this does is it allows you to grow an email list and kind of liquidate the spend for your advertising. And then you probably use email or webinar or something of that sort to sell and upsell those people. Did that just go away? Did things start to shift? Do you wish like, man, I should I stopped that because I'd hire someone like tell us a little bit about how you had to shift to really start scaling even, even larger. Yeah. I'm, I mean, so for the first several years I was doing the marketing myself and then we start adding some subcontractors some freelancers to offer support. And then eventually we've turned it over to an agency and now we have a full on, you know, uh, fractional CMO that, that works with our marketing team. I, I don't know if tripwires work as well as they used to, to be honest mm. with you. I, I don't think Facebook, uh, f- just Facebook ads work mm. as well as they used to for us, at least. We're, we're finding yeah. great success with Google, uh, you know, PPC, and but we're, we're doing it all, to be honest with you. And and, and there are seasons for it all. I, you know, Facebook ads can work really well. Facebook groups, yeah. obviously, you know a lot about Facebook groups. Facebook groups uh, can be a great asset for you as well if you're an entrepreneur just starting out. So what's a what's a yeah, for, for someone starting out, What's a play or two You're going, Hey, it's 2023, Justin, and, uh, I've got a product. It's, you know, 500 bucks. What are maybe two or three things you would tell me to start doing right now when it comes to selling more of yep. my product or service? So uh, the first thing I would say is before you sell, you've got to, you've got to, uh, raise awareness. You've mm. got to be talking about this, you know, your product or your service solves something. What does it solve? What is that pain that it mm. solves? And for the for the first sixty days before you ever introduce, I mean, I could even go back ninety days. You just need to start raising awareness to this issue, right? You need to start aggravating this issue, this pain point. You need to press down on it, and they need to be they need to be noticing it. Like if you have an email list, 
or a Facebook group, all of a sudden you've brought awareness to this issue and they begin sort of consciously noticing it in their lives or they experience that issue. And they're like, oh yeah, that's what uh, Alejandro said the other day in the Facebook group. Like they need to sort of connect the dots and be aware because otherwise if you're just selling a product and there's, you're not preparing them for what you're about to sell, it's not going to go nearly as well. And so Mm. for me, figure out what your launch date is, your product date is, and then you need to start talking about the issues, talking about the issues. And uh, there's an entrepreneur in our space. I can always tell what he's about to sell because for about two months, he starts talking about a certain issue. I'm going, okay, he's going to, he's going to sell this type of thing. And sure enough, he does. And he's so brilliant at it. He's so great at preparing everyone for what he's mm-hmm. about to sell them. And why do you, why, why do you think it's so important to, instead of just going, you know, the awareness round, just going like, Hey, what's up? Come buy our stuff. Like, t- tell me why that's such a bad move and almost like an expensive hobby. <laughs> an expensive hobby is a great way to describe a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Um, we're expensive hobbies. No, um, it, because people are emotional buyers. Mm. Most buying is emotional. And if you don't aggravate that pain for them, if they don't feel something psychologically, then they're not going to be motivated to buy. They're just, they're just not. And so you could use something like a survey. I think a, a mm. tactic that I found is a survey. You send out a survey to your email list. You kind of already know what the survey is going to reveal, right? But you do the survey and then you send out another email or two revealing the survey results. And then all of a sudden people go, wow, I have this pain or I have this problem. And there's there's a lot of people out there just like me that I'm not alone. I'm not so unique. Good. And then you sell this this uh, resource to this group of people. And there's just something that happens, right? When everyone's in the same frame of mind, it so sort good. of, it sort of builds and adds momentum, like uh, to a, a product launch or to a product sale that you wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think awareness is probably the biggest tip I would have on, on just uh, selling a product is they've got to, they've got to be aware of the pain or their pain. You know, we all have just pain. A- yeah, and I, I think, Justin, a lot of people are so busy on the hamster wheel of life that they're really not thinking about their pain. They're coping. They're doing a lot of different yes. things to avoid it. Mm-hmm. But I think the people that win are the ones that come and say, hey, here, you know, it's not just you that has this. We, we worked with a lot of people that have this thing here. And then they start seeing the survey, which I think the survey is brilliant. And, and it, you kind of, excuse me, you kind of have an idea of what the answers will be. But the cool thing about a survey sometimes is you get language Mm -hmm. and messaging ideas to repeat back to them the pain points that they are feeling, the frustrations, the hopes, the dreams. And so when you have this this excitement, I, I, I liken it to an Apple product launch. Like they do these events, build so much hype, they build so much excitement, and then they sell it. They And they do these a couple times a year. I know you guys do one big event a year. And from that one event, the rest of the year, people are buying stuff, right? So so you can build a lot of momentum with, with these type of events. So you got the awareness, you got the survey. People are in a heightened state of like, yes, we all have this. Like, what do we do? What type of sales process in 2023 or sales mechanism would you say works right now for, for the average person? You know, I... Well, I, I go back to awareness again, not awareness just of the problem, but awareness. You, you kind of alluded to it, awareness of your brand or your company or your product. There has to be this dual awareness that happens, right? Mm. I think you have to have that in order to sell. Now, as far as a strategy goes or tactics to use, I mean, again, we, we, we've really invested in a lot of SEO. So you're sort of long, that's a long play, right? And people are finding us through organic search a lot. We also, you know, like you mentioned, we do these live events and our live events have done really well. I would say webinars, quote unquote, yeah, don't, they're, you know, they're not in their heyday anymore, but live mm-hmm. events for us still can give, you know, we get an hour of time with someone, we get an hour of their time and we can really press down on this issue, we can really present a solution that is appealing and that can actually help them. If I get an hour of someone's time, there's a good chance we're going to be able to close a lot of people. And and so I think if you're an entrepreneur starting out and you have some products to sell, think of ways to raise the awareness on what your problem, problem solves and think of ways that you can raise awareness about your brand and your, your story. 
A lot of times you do a big tentpole event and that's how you can get awareness about both of those things simultaneously. No, that's really good. And you've interviewed, you've, you've interviewed a lot of people, but you've hired a lot of people, you let people go, et cetera. When, when seeing an entrepreneur uh, and, and, and kind of coaching them and, and working with them and seeing a lot of people pop up and try, I got to want to be an entrepreneur, Justin, it's working for you. What do you say, what would you say is the biggest mistake that most entrepreneurs make when trying to sell stuff online and grow their brand. You know, I'm guilty of this, but but trying to sell a problem, uh, you know, sell a product that nobody cares about. Mm. It's not really a problem. It's 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 it is a problem, but it's a it's a minor thing. It's it's something mm. that just everyone deals with, and we don't even think twice about it. I see a lot of entrepreneurs come out and they introduce things, and I I, I mean, like there's a platform the other day. Uh, you know, a company had reached out to us because you know, it hasn't done very well and said, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about just kind of folding this. Do, do you want this? Mm. <laughs> and I remember when they introduced me to the product five years ago, and I remember thinking like, this is neat, but it doesn't really solve like what I view as like an issue. It, mm. It's 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 neat, um, but that's it. And I, I see a lot of pro, uh, entrepreneurs introducing neat things that don't actually solve mm. problems. And I think that is, you know, an error that, that I've made myself. But No, that's really good. And I think it's the difference between selling vitamins, something that's like nice to have, I'll get to them, versus selling a painkiller. It's like I will do whatever to – I will spend whatever to alleviate, alleviate that pain. And I think that's what you're talking about, like raising the awareness – to the point where like they're ready, like they got their credit cards ready. Yeah. And when you talk about it, like people are ready to, 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 to buy it. Yeah. No one, what, sorry, no one wants to buy vitamin C until they're constipated or sick. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's the quote for the, the interview, bro. Yeah, that's, there it that's, is. The one. that's so good. Um, and a meal soul or something, but, yeah. um, but no, has there been like a, a, a failure or a setback because I feel like over the last several years that we've known each other, I feel I feel from my perspective, it's been like effortless. Like you are a very consistent guy. And I just go like from afar, I'm like, man, he's just crushing it. Like things are awesome. Like he, he's just he's just the man. They're killing it. Has there has there been over the last several years building ministry pass where you, you had a major setback or something didn't go the way that you thought it'd go and you had to make some changes? And, and what have you learned from that? Yeah, so our second month was mm. the big setback. So we mm. launched. We launched with this big event with Mark Batterson. You know, he's <laughs> a pastor, New York yeah. Times bestselling author. Yep. We were trending, bro, on Twitter that day. It, I still have the screenshot. It was hashtag Ministry Pass, and right below it was hashtag Ebola. You know, so COVID has been the rage, right? Ebola was all the rage back then. It wasn't wow. obviously as big as COVID, but we beat out Ebola that day, and. So we were like high-fiving. We're doing amazing. We did $37,000 that first month, and I was just over the moon. And then the, our second month, we did $3,700. You know, alarm bells are going off, right? And what I had realized was, you know, we started out annual only. We were just introducing annual. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I realized is that I was, I was a good youth pastor if, if you measure being a good youth pastor by doing successful events. So I was always really good at, at the temple. Yeah. And we just talked about this. Like you need a big temple. You need to be able to raise awareness. However, you cannot forsake the day-to-day, week-to-week systems that you need to have in place to be able to grow your business. You need both. One is stability. One is attention, right? Mm. And so we didn't have anything that was – you know, we didn't have that foundation of those weekly processes for, for marketing, for sales, for emails or anything like that. We're just sort of going event to event. Mm-hmm. And what I learned really quickly was, is we need stability in our business. We can't just have, you know, feast or famine. And so we pivoted a little bit and we added on our monthly option. And mm-hmm. I immediately now monthly is not nearly as sexy as getting paid all up front. But it added such stability and predictability to our revenue, and we just we haven't looked back. You, you know, like, I think you're correct. We we just had a slow and steady climb for the past nine years. Nothing risky, nothing crazy, just slow and steady climb. No, that's that's really good, and and that's I remember Tom's um, uh, Tom's shoes. Uh, I think his name's Blake. 
something, Myowski or something of that, Mouskowitz or something like that. Um, Mike Wazowski. No, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, someone said, you only make $17 per shoe. That's not a lot. That's not very profitable. And he said at the time, it was very fascinating. He said, we never got into it for the profitability. We got it for the, into this for the sustainability. Mm. And I think you got to do both. You know, yeah. now, I mean, they're not as big as they were 10 years ago, but I think you have to be thinking of, you know, yes, we got to make money now, but, but we, we got to also be sustainable for the long run. And so maybe folks that have a smaller team right now, they're, they're growing an agency or have a company. What are some of the things now that you've hired people to help you as the CEO, how are you thinking? What do you think about most? in your business? Like what do you spend 60 to 80% of your time thinking about? I spend my, my, uh, thinking and time and energy on three areas, uh, culture, mm. you know, making sure the mission and the vision just stays in the, in front of our people because, you know, most of our people, they come from ministry backgrounds. They care about the mission. That's why they're on our team, right? Um, we're not just have hiring average Joes and people don't apply to work for our, our company just because, oh, the salary package is nice. Like they align with the, the mission and the values that we have. Uh, two is people developing, you know, my team, developing our leaders. And then three are the numbers. So CEO should focus on the culture people and numbers like those. There's really your only three responsibilities. And I have to say, it has been a transition for me. You know, I started out as a doer, an all-star doer. I did everything. I did at least I did half the things. Wade did the other, my partner, he did the other stuff. But as you begin to grow, you begin to add add people into the mix. And so I would mm. say over the past three years, I've had this transition period where I'm I'm no longer really doing anything. And that that it actually is kind of tough when you're used to being an all-star doer. And now I spend a lot of my time thinking and in meetings and sort of reading and learning and growing because what is like, how do I add the most value to our team and, and where I'm at today? I've actually got to be the best leader I can be. They're not, they're not waiting on me for deliverables. They're waiting on me to lead. And so I've got to spend all my time in, in that, in that area. And I love that. And I think we, we all want to be great leaders. I know you invest in it yourself with coaching. I know you study leaders. You talk about Mark Batterson. You've been around a lot of successful leaders. You, you learn about leadership. And in, in you, what do you think is the most important characteristic of being a great leader? Man, I tell my wife this all the time. If someone doesn't have self-awareness, they have no hope. Why is that? Because if someone doesn't have self-awareness, they're not able to grow. They're not able to see their faults. People aren't able to speak into them because mm. they're sort of closed off mentally. But if someone's self-aware, if you're a leader and you have this level of self-awareness, you have this honesty about about yourself. Like, hey, here here are my shortcomings. Here's where I fall short. Here's mm. where I need to grow. Without self-awareness, none of that growth can take place. And that's so fun. That's so good. You know, to me, that's a, a very important value for really not just leaders, but every human. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I know. Yeah. No, I know. It's you gotta you gotta. The biggest thing you said to me is like when someone gives you some candor, some feedback, are are you willing to accept it? And and maybe it doesn't feel good because sure. it, it usually stings. But but are you defensive or are you at least kind of going, man? Are you open minded? to the possibility. And that's how you grow. It would really stink to go your whole life without, with always being defensive and not having a growth mindset to always want to improve. And I would say just in the most, the most growth in my la life has been the most rigorous feedback. Yeah. How about for you? Uh, same, same. Uh, people need to be challenged. I, I need people to challenge me, to ask me the tough questions to, mm. to say, Hey, you said this, w w you know, what did you mean by that? If someone doesn't have any self-awareness, they're caught off guard by your feedback, mm. right? They're shocked by your feedback. And so I've got to continually uh, continually be disciplined and say, okay, like, am I being, am I being objective about you know, where I'm at as a leader? I, am I inviting others to speak into that so I can facilitate that growth? Growth is intentional. Man, it is, it is observational and is intentional. Does not happen mm. by accident. You wanted to be in ministry. I mean, I think you have an Assemblies of God background like I do, right? I think I think that's I think yeah, 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 right. Um, Ag in the house, um, but 
you know, you're a man of God, you know, you infuse, you work in ministry, you have a ministry company, but, but still we have to do the work of, of being a man of God and, and, and instilling those beliefs into the way that we do business. How do you infuse your relationship with God with the work that you do on a daily basis? Because it's really easy to go, yeah, we run a Christian business. Like I'm, I'm doing my part, but how do you have to really think about, man, like I really need you, God, I'm depending on you. What does that look like for you? So I think we cheat a little bit, my, my, my particular team, because I've been a part of like some C12, um, you know, groups and, there are non-Christian companies. There are Christian leaders in non-Christian companies. And so their challenges are a lot different than mine. They're, they're wanting to bring in like, what is the, the chaplain service, you know, um, marketplace chaplain. And they're, mm-hmm. they're wanting to add maybe a Bible study. And that may seem taboo for a part of their company. Half my team are like ex-pastors. And, yeah. and, and the other half are heavily involved in their church. And so for us, you know... I would say we probably don't do as good a job as we could at just being intentional about talking about some of the spiritual things because it's mm. kind of, I literally, I mean, I've been a church brat my whole life. So um, you kind of become, you learn how to become a professional Christian. Yeah. And and I just have to make sure that I have those spiritual disciplines in place because without the spiritual disciplines, you can fake it. I've been in church for 40 years you can fake it without spiritual disciplines, but inside, internally, there's a, there's a big difference. And I feel the difference internally when I have those spiritual disciplines in place for me. And what do those, what does that look like on a, on a daily or weekly basis for you? What are some of the spiritual disciplines that like, I, I just, I start feeling sick if I don't go to church or if I don't pray or if I don't talk, like, what are some of the things that, that you do to keep your mind right, to keep yourself close to God? Um, yeah, just curious your thoughts there. You know, for me, I, I go on walks. Mm. I go on walks and I'm able to think, I'm able to pray without distractions, without, you know, a car cutting me off, you know, the radio, someone walking into my office. For me, you know, my, my middle son, he's autistic. He's uh, pretty high on the spectrum, Parker. Um, but he loves he loves going on walks. He, I put him in the stroller and we just cruise. We walked yesterday four miles and he's just chilling, doesn't make a peep. He's just mm. enjoying, you know, God's God's creation and the birds. And and I'm just out there walking myself, thinking and talking to God and, and praying. So for me, like, I think you had to have that space where you can have some sort of peace with God. Because I can pray in my car. And I'm not saying if you pray in your car, that's bad. I mean, that's better than not praying. <laughs> but for me, being someone who's been like a professional Christian, quote unquote, I need to find that place where I can have some serenity, some quiet time. Um, you know, of course I read my Bible and, you know, working through different books of the Bible. I'm, I used to be like, Hey, how much can I read? You know, mm. I'm going to go through the book of the, I'm going to go through the Bible in one year and I, you know, that's fine. But for me now I'm like, okay, let's, let's park it in Psalms for, for two months and just kind of mm. take my time and, and, and look up some commentaries, look up some you know, ministry paths. We have this, um, uh, it's called a Theo study guide. It, it sort of gives you the background on the book and who wrote it and when they wrote it and the key verses and the topics. So like, I'll study those as I'm reading, uh, my passages. And, you know, I, I used to feel guilty. I'll say this. I used to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I didn't pray enough or I didn't read enough. Now, I, now mm-hmm. I don't feel guilty. I just, I just do the work. And, um, I, you know, I think, um, you know, God is faithful. And if I'm having those spiritual habits in place, uh, you know, I, I think that's much better than having nothing and then just mm-hmm. doing it whenever you whenever you think about it. So no, that's really good. And you, you talked about creating space because something else will will definitely yeah. fill that space. It's totally. not like, yo, it's just going to empty. It's going to get full with with something else. Man, what 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 are you most proud of? You, you, you know, you you're you know, I'm proud that you're a cool guy, although you were homeschooled. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that for you. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 you know, blue collar family and, and, you know, you didn't have a ton and you build this amazing business, got great family life. People love you, bro. What are you most proud of Justin about? I mean, I'm proud of my family for sure. I'm Mm. proud of, I'm proud of my relationship I have with my wife. We've been married for 17 years and, um, it's you know it's been a wonderful journey. I'm, um, on a business level, I'm very proud of 
of the work that we do. You know, I, mm. I talk to pastors all the time, um, bivocational pastors, church planners. I mean, I talked to a pastor, bro, that he has his own IT business and he's putting his girls through college. He's working 12 hours a day. Doesn't oh. do any sermon prep at all. He, he actually became a pastor later in life. Sort of, it, it kind of fell into it, right? Wow. And he gets up Saturday morning. His wife said his wife makes him, you know, the one meal a week that she makes for him because he's actually home and they have breakfast together. And then he has sermon prep and he starts on Saturday morning and he goes till Saturday evening or well into you know Sunday morning. And then he gets up and he preaches and he found ministry pass and it's been a tremendous help for him because he doesn't have any time. The church is small. They don't have any resources. And so when I hear stories like that, I, I'm I'm so humbled. Um, mm. There's another story uh, of a man. We had this series called Vivid, and it was, it was meant to be a series like after you get through after church, you know, after Easter, essentially. Mm. And it's a series about like seeing the world through new eyes. And we had these sermon illustrations. We're like, hey, let we gave some 3D graphics, and we said, hey, buy everyone in your church 3D glasses, and then you could do these different slides a certain part in the service with these 3D glasses. And then we also said, hey, here's also an idea you could have. Uh, there was this video. They just kind of come out where it was those colorblind glasses mm -hmm. where um, you put the glasses on, you can see color. And those had just come out. And so we showed that. And that, that was some sort of illustration about seeing things differently. Well, a church emailed us and shared a video with us where – they did the series and they bought the 3D glasses, but there was a, a there was a, an older gentleman in their church that had been this sort of pillar in their community. And mm. he had been colorblind all his life. He'd never seen color, fully colorblind. And so they bought everyone 3D glasses, but the ushers handed him the colorblind glasses. I don't know, remember what the product's called. And so he put those glasses on and this man saw color for the first time in his life during the sermon. You know what? When I hear stories like that, I'm so impacted by the work of our team and the opportunity to serve a pastor like in you know some small rural area in Indiana where this happened. And it's just you know, I'm just grateful that that God has allowed me to utilize my skills and my passions mm. in a way that is unconventional, I guess. Because I thought I was going to grow up and be a pastor. I'm around <laughs> pastors, but I'm not a pastor. I think that's awesome. I, I think of um, you know the Jordan River and the the twelve stones. Uh, remember being reminded, you know, uh, and you just, you know, and, and, and sometimes I think we forget unless we're thinking about it, like, you know, sometimes we forget about God's faithfulness, the goodness, the stories of the impact that our businesses are making. And so it's really, really cool. She, um, that you share that man. Um, before we, we wrap up with a, with a couple questions, where can people learn a little bit more about ministry pass seminary and all the cool stuff you're working on, man? Yeah. Ministrypass.com. That's P A S S.com. Um, that's our library site. And then we have our sister sites. A seminary is a sermon app, essentially yeah. Dra drag and drop editor. It's, it's a unique way of constructing or, or assembling a sermon, and uh, that's seminary.com. And then, of course, if you want to follow me in my uh, commentary on life or politics or whatever, it's usually just retweeting, you know, funny stuff on Twitter, but <laughs> at, at Justin Trapp. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, what is your definition of holy hustle? You sent this question over to me, and I immediately thought of this lesson I heard when I was uh, about 18 years old mm. and it, it, it relates to the movie Chariots of Fire, Chariots of Fire. And, and maybe people have heard this point before, but Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell, he, he's born to, you know, his parents were missionaries in China, I believe, they're like Polish missionaries in China and they wanted him to become a missionary as well. But Eric Liddell was fast and he was doing track and there was sort of this tension, right? And his sisters at one point in the movie was trying to talk to him about, Hey, you know, you know, you need to go, you know, follow the family footsteps. And he said something. He said, yeah, God, he said, God made me with a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Mm. And for me, holy hustle is about doing what you do. Like when you feel his pleasure, like, what do you do? Like, what are you gifted at that when you're doing it, you feel his pleasure. 
Mm. For me, that's serving church leaders, that's serving churches. And so for, I would say that when I, when you asked me that question, I thought that's what holy hustle is. It's doing the work, doing, doing what you do and feeling his pleasure at the same time, his, his approval, his, his blessing. That's so good, man. What a great, what a great movie as well, man. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll link it up. I'll link it up below. Um, if no one's heard that story, seen that story. Um, but if you could travel, if you could travel back in time and um, maybe when you're starting the business or at a time where you, you wanted, you want to do more with your life um, and maybe start a company, you can go back, have a tra- uh, time travel machine. You can go back and tell yourself um, some advice, some encouraging words what would you go, what would, when would you go back and uh, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I'd go back to when we first launched Ministry Pass or even before that. And what I would say is like, hey, don't, ideas are overrated. Mm. Ideas are overrated. I think early on, I, I put the value in the idea. Like, oh, this is a unique idea. This is an idea that no one's ever done. Like no one's ever thought of this. And I actually met several people that had the same idea as me. And I'm going, okay, this is, this is weird. You're like literally describing my idea to myself. But what I would say is focus on the execution of the idea. Because if you focus on the execution, that's, that's really where the secret sauce is. The secret sauce isn't in the idea. It isn't in this concept or this you know, product uh, that you came up with that's like new and going to change the world forever. Uh, the, the, the really the secret sauce is how do you implement and execute that idea? You know, the, the person I talked to, they had the same idea as, as, uh, as me on something. We executed it and implemented it and, and both products are still successful today. But the way that they were fleshed out, even though he described, he, he used the same words that I did, mm. the way that we executed it was very, very differently. So don't get hung up on ideas or people copying your ideas. Get hung up on the execution. On, on your systems and your processes so that you don't have a month like me where you go from 37,000 to 3,700. That will save you that hassle. Well, Justin, that was uh, amazing. Appreciate you. Appreciate your friendship. Um, I mean, I think daily we have going back and forth with sports or beeves or UFC yeah. or something. So just, just want to say thank you so much for being a great friend to me. I think as entrepreneurs, uh, as, as, as Christian entrepreneurs, especially, we really need others that we can look up to, that we could see and root, on, root and, and that could keep you accountable and that, yeah. that you have in your corner, man. So I'm rooting you on, man. Excited that uh, we got to do this together and look forward to seeing Seminary Ministry Pass continue to grow, man. Appreciate yeah. you, bro. Go Strohs. 